My name is Will DeFreeze, and this is the Sunday Scaries Podcast, your cure for the Sunday blues. Before we get started this week, an announcement. If you go to sunday-scaries.com, brand new tote bags are available for purchase. Just scroll to the bottom of the page, use Apple Pay, you can carry all your coping mechanisms in one single place when you head out of your panic room. A win-win for everybody. You have to be careful when taking advice on the internet. Before you know it, your Google searches for symptoms of a toothache will result in you thinking you have brain cancer. Your research on Yelp about a new restaurant is just reading amateur food critics who have no more weight to their opinion than you or I have. And if you're on Facebook, you pretty much can't believe anything you click these days. While I truly love doing episodes where I can respond to questions from you, the listeners, I do hesitate to go into uncharted waters when it comes to questions I select. This week, I'm doing just that, answering lighthearted questions that you shouldn't put too much stock in. Let's get into them. What's your favorite music to listen to while cooking? Ever since moving into our new apartment last September, I try to cook as much as possible. Frankly, we live way too close to an In-N-Out, and it would be dangerous if I didn't constantly have food around. I'm not sure if it's because my parents loved hosting dinner parties when I was a kid, or if I just prefer music over television while cooking dinner, but I almost always put on a playlist while I'm cooking. It may sound cheesy, but I like to match the playlist with the actual food we're about to have in front of us. If we're making tacos, I put on the Buena Vista Social Club's greatest hits. If we're doing steak or pasta, I search for an Italian playlist somewhere on Spotify. And if it's just a random meal where we're throwing together leftover ingredients, I almost always go to some nondescript jazz music that pairs nicely with a glass or two of red wine. Where do you source all the photos from the Sunday Scaries Instagram account? I actually get asked this question a lot, and I truly don't really have a great answer for it. If you follow Sunday Scaries on Instagram, which is at sunday.scaries for those keeping track at home, you know that I post daily photos of things that are solely meant to kind of relax you. Whether it's a photo of the Amalfi Coast, the perfect Sunday outfit, or simply just something pleasing to the eye design-wise, I get my photos from all over the place. Years ago, I familiarized myself with Tumblr and Pinterest, something a lot of guys refuse to do. Through following the right people and accounts, I just started saving things that I liked whenever I'd stumble across them. I started doing the same on Instagram as it emerged as one of the most popular forms of social media, so my saved folder is absolutely full of photos that have yet to be posted. While I'd love to exclusively post photos that I personally take, I think people would get tired of seeing my coffee table every day, you know, if they aren't already. What's the worst suggestion you've ever received for a Sunday night show or movie? It's actually funny. Ever since I started Sunday Scaries, my friends and family don't really relay things that I should watch on Sunday nights as much as they suggest things that I shouldn't watch on Sunday nights. The shows that fall into the worst suggestions are all over the map. The most trying time was when True Detective Season 1 was out and I craved watching it every single Sunday, despite how anxiety-inducing it was. HBO's app actually crashed during the season finale and I sat in my bed on my iPad waiting for it to actually work. When it finally did, around 11.30pm, I started watching it. If you remember that finale at all, you know that it's best watched on any night but Sunday night. Needless to say, I had some trouble sleeping that night. Some other shows and movies that come to mind are Sideways, which seemed like a good idea at the time, but just kind of hit me weird, Euphoria, and American Horror Story. I did manage to avoid Breaking Bad on Sunday nights for the longest time, but when I finally dove in, I didn't care when I watched it as long as it was on the screen. 
I absolutely loved it. What's your go-to non-alcoholic hangover drink? In my mid-20s, I had a very targeted and strategic hangover drink. I'd buy a tall Riptide Rush Gatorade, unscrew the top, put two Alka-Seltzer in it, and then top it off with an emergency. I'm not sure if I actually cured my hangovers or if I just willed it to, but it definitely worked in some way. These days, I don't do it as much as I used to, partially because I'm not hungover as much and partially because I don't really drink Gatorade anymore. Instead, I stick to that three drinks at brunch rule that you've probably heard me talk about before. A large ice water, a strong iced coffee, and some juice to mix things up. I know it sounds cliche in 2019 when everyone's uber health conscious, but my main priority is kind of just avoiding sugar. How do I restrain myself from going too hard at a weekday event, but still being fun at the party? This advice is not derived from me, but from a friend who told me about his strategy more than five years ago. What he wanted to do was enjoy buzz at work events, but he didn't want to get too drunk or worry about a hangover the next day. His solution? Arrive at the party and quickly drink two martinis. He wasn't chugging them by any means, but he was drinking them earlier than later to ensure that he wasn't drinking late into the night. What this did was give him an immediate buzz, allow him to loosen up, and most importantly, sober up by the end of the night. I've only tried it once, but I have to say, it did work like a charm. What are the best and worst parts of wedding planning? I actually thought I'd love wedding planning. I truly did. But the deeper we've gotten into it, the more I've realized why people are so ready to be done with it. That being said, as much as I can complain about the money it costs and how difficult it is to get exactly what you want, there are some fun parts to it too. For me, it's mostly just been daydreaming of having all of our friends and family together in one place. If I look at it from that standpoint, rather than feeling as though I'm an event planner, everything gets a little more fun too. Just recently, we made probably the most exciting decision we've gotten to make yet, our band. I've always felt that a wedding is only as good as its dance floor, so having that out of the way has been a big weight off of our shoulders. Once we start tasting the food and making the seating chart, I think that's when the real fun will actually begin. Until then, it's mostly just the grunt work, deciding on invitations, establishing a venue, and trying to figure out who to cut from our invite list. How do you feel about short guided meditations on Sunday night? I've talked about meditation before, but it's high time I remind everyone how valuable it can be. I can't act like I'm some expert in the field. I've simply used a meditation app and have somewhat trained myself to do it on my own. While I don't do it every day, I wish I made more time to do it. In my talks with others about meditation, I found that some people struggle with their attention spans. They drift off, fall asleep, or simply become disinterested. While it's all understandable, I just hope that those complaints aren't deterrents. At the end of the day, that's exactly what you're trying to do. Clear your head and think differently. Drifting off is not that big of a deal. It may not feel like you're at peace with anything, but it's better than shoving your face into your phone for those 5-15 to 15 minute periods when you could be meditating. And if you start doing it on Sunday nights, well, that's all the better. Before we get into more questions, this week's episode is brought to you by Early Bird CBD. If you're unfamiliar with CBD, don't be afraid to try it. Despite being taken from cannabis, CBD is essentially the part of the weed that doesn't get you stoned. And yes, it's totally legal. My best use for it? Anxiety. But that's not all it's good for. Additionally, it can help with insomnia, pain relief, depression, heart health, and the list just goes on. Early Bird CBD searches high and low for the very best products. Oils, topicals, tinctures, capsules, gummies, vape cartridges, and even pet treats. They started in 2018 with a simple mission, helping people find the best quality CBD for whatever their needs are. 
They're helping the best companies spread the power of CBD so that the world can be a healthier and happier place. Every product they stock contains less than 3% THC, which is the legal limit, and they ship to all 50 states for free. By going to earlybirdcbd.com, you can use promo code SCARIES for 20% off your order. Again, that's earlybirdcbd.com using SCARIES for 20% off. If you're looking for CBD or at least willing to try it for the first time, look no further than Early Bird. And as always, you can find the link to them in the description of this episode. What are some other podcasts or audiobooks to listen to that feel the same as this podcast? Well, when I first started this podcast, I had a couple hopes for it. I wanted it to be different than anything I'd listened to before. I wanted it to be short and concise, and I wanted it to somewhat relax people, or at the very least, allow people to think differently. The podcasts I took inspiration from were all over the place. I enjoyed the tone and format of Michael Barbaro's The Daily from the New York Times. I liked the length and candidness of Monocycle by Man Repeller's founder, Leandra Medine. And I loved the quirkiness and relaxation I got from my favorite podcast, Everything is Alive, where the host interviews inanimate objects. So as far as my recommendations go, there you have them. How do you know it's time to move on from a job that you've been at for a long time? I have a friend who refuses to live in a city for more than three years at a time, and I'm sure this will change as he gets older, but once it hits three years, he's out. I lived with him for a short period of time and I actually respected what he did. He knew that he had to leave before getting too settled in. I'm not positive of his reasoning and I think he feared becoming complacent. And that's exactly how I feel about staying at a job. At an early age, I was always taught by my parents to be thinking to the next chapter before the chapter I was currently on ended. If all goes downhill, what will I do? If I want to get to the next step in my career, what do I need to have in place? What do I need to do in order to make absolutely sure that I can seamlessly move on to the next chapter of my life? These are all questions I try to keep in the back of my mind whenever it comes to my professional life. I don't think there's always some revelation or light bulb that turns on. I think it's just something you come to accept over time. But as long as you're prepared for the next step, having that realization feels a lot more natural and a lot less jarring. What are some tips you have for finding a job outside of the city where you live? Remember early on in this episode when I said that I'm not qualified to answer some questions? Well, here we are. I'd probably be the world's worst recruiter because job hunting is something I've always struggled with. Fortunately, I do have some pillars I stick to when it comes to putting yourself out there. They're as follows. It's not what you know, but who you know. There's never going to be a right time to quit, but you have to quit in order to move on with your life. You may feel guilty, but they'll figure everything out once you leave. Cold email people. It's uncomfortable and awkward, but some of my best opportunities have been from sending an email to someone didn't know I even existed. Be flexible and know your value. You should always be fairly compensated for your work, but there are times when you need to prove yourself first. And finally, just work hard and everything will fall into place. I struggle with all of these, but none of them have done me wrong quite yet. If you could only drink one beer for the rest of your life, what would it be? I've done a handful of listener question episodes so far, and this is by far the most difficult question I've received. My initial reaction was to go with what I consider to be my favorite beer, Bell's Winter White Ale. I love it. As their website reads, it's an alternative to dark and heavy winter warmers and stouts, a stylish and refreshing weed ale. The issue with this is that I can't stomach weed ales when it's so hot outside. Sure, they sometimes taste great with a splash of orange juice, but those times are few and far between. 
My next thought was a beer that most people are hot or cold on, Guinness. I've drank Guinness since I began drinking beer, and it's never tasted bad to me. But again, the hot weather issue starts to creep in. No one wants to be in the boat in the middle of Lake Michigan drinking pints of Guinness. And for that reason, I'm out. I knew I had to go with something lighter and more versatile, so I landed on my final choice, Pacifico. I've never had a Pacifico I didn't like, and whether it's in a chilada or dressed with hot sauce, it's simply a beer that would go down easy whether I'm on a porch or in an apres ski situation. Plus, it has the best looking label out there. How do I politely explain to my significant other that my Sunday routine is getting much needed alone time? This is actually something I've personally struggled with in past relationships and my current relationship. Something I pride myself on is being able to entertain myself for hours or even days without any other human contact. Solitude is always something that's never really bothered me. But there has to be an understanding that not everyone thinks this way. Some people crave human contact and attention and they can't fathom why you'd rather be alone than with them. Frankly, it's nothing against them despite being somewhat selfish for you. When I'm alone, I'm on my schedule. I call the shots, I control the playlist, and I decide when I'm done enjoying my alone time. It may seem cold and brash, but it's necessary if I want to feel as though I took full advantage of my time, and the hours seem to last just a little bit longer. Have you joined Reese Witherspoon's book club? No, I have not, but now that you mention it, maybe we should start our own Sunday book club over here. We can start with short novels that even the most hungover of brains can comprehend and only books with aesthetically pleasing covers. Since I'm halfway through it now, let's start with Peter Mail's A Year in Provence. Happy reading. If you liked what you heard today, make sure to subscribe, review, or tell a friend in need about this podcast. By subscribing, you guarantee that each and every episode gets delivered directly to your phone every Sunday morning. You can also follow along on Twitter, at Sunday Scaries, and Instagram, which is at Sunday.Scaries. Or you can follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Will to Freeze. And remember, always trim the wicks on your scented candles. See you next Sunday. Thank you.